This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye-bye-bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. Just gone 5pm in London, an hour away from a Federal Reserve decision. The scores at the close, the FTSE 100 down a third of 1%. The DAX, the equity benchmark in Frankfurt, Germany, treading water. US equities continuing to make a bit of a comeback with the S&P 500 up a half of 1%. The DAX up by six tenths of 1%. In the FX market, grinding towards a Federal Reserve decision which many people might think it would have a hawkish tilt. It's a dollar weakness story in G10. Cable back through 140 at 140.70 and up a half of 1% on the session. Euro dollar at the moment the single currency up to 122.63. Positive on the session by two tenths of 1% and to round things out with the Treasury market action as follows. Yields go nowhere on a 10 year just south of 290. The two year note the yield 234. So as we count you down to the Federal Reserve decision, Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve chairman, will likely make some headlines with an interest rate hike in his first meeting as the Federal Reserve chairman. But look to the fine print for the biggest news, the debate about whether we shift from three hikes for 2018 to four. We have been looking for four hikes this year for quite some time. As I sit here today, the three is a reasonably good base case. I think Jay Powell is going to soften us up mm. and, and let us get ready for the idea that maybe there's going to be more than three rate increases. I don't think he's going to guide us toward four, four rate hikes this year. I think that's just going to contribute to greater market volatility. If you were to go to you know, four 25 basis point rate hikes, I think it would still be gradual. If there's risk to the three hikes this year, uh, then it would be four rather than two. And we have had some of the more bolder FOMC participants come out and say that in public that, well, I think we could definitely do three hikes this year. Could it be four? Sure. We have had so many guests react to this conversation over the last number of months going into 2018. Would the Fed continue with its projected three hikes this year or would Chairman Powell drag the market up towards four? To discuss, joining me now is Alistair McKay, Director of Investment Management at Fern Wealth. Also with me here in New York is Romain Bostic, our editor of our Bloomberg Top Live blog. And Romain, I want to begin with you, sir. Talk to me about this shift towards four and what might underpin it. It's all about the economy. Um, right now, I mean, I, I'm really going to focus on that first paragraph in the statement. Uh, that's really going to tell us a lot about the Fed's, uh, FOMC's outlook for the economy and how much of, of it includes the stimulus that was passed uh, earlier this year, as well as the tax cuts uh, from December. Um, we didn't really get a chance to see that from the last Fed meeting. That really wasn't factored into it. We're going to get that this time around, and that'll be a big determinant of whether that dot plot does get pushed up a little bit past three. And now these questions were all relevant going into the semi-annual testimony of Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell just a month ago. And I thought, well, what's the upside of coming out and, and punching hard and setting us up for four? You want some optionality. Surely that's the prudent response of a of a central banker this mm -hmm. early in the year. And then Ali came out so positive and optimistic. You were expecting to see the same Chairman Powell, Al? 
Uh, you've got to imagine, evening, Jonathan, you've got to imagine that uh, there's going to be a bit more of a calmer, more calculated uh, commentary that's going to come out. This is a, obviously a pre-prepared statement, uh, and he's, he's had a little bit of time to absorb how the markets have reacted to, to previous comments he's come out with. And I don't think it'll necessarily do the U.S. any good to stretch themselves too far away from the recovery cycle of all the other major economic regions around the world. I know they've already got a, a fair gap between themselves and them. Um, I, I think I'm inclined to go with three, with the option of four, should, should the environment uh, prove uh, um, positive enough in the future. It's also worth remembering, I think, when it comes to rate rises, um, market expectations since uh, 2009 onwards had been for quite some considerable time a little bit overly optimistic about what we were going to receive. Then we went into, shifted into a more negative, uh, more negative uh, than the markets actually had. Yeah. And then we're, we're maybe falling in line with where re really we should be expecting. I think it's still going to be three. Which also brings up the communication style remain of the Federal Reserve Chairman. Traditionally, we are used to people corrupted, tainted by the University of the Federal Reserve, which means a very academic approach to everything and answering questions as if they are economists because they are, right. which means on the one hand this, on the other hand that, and to answer your question, I'm sitting on the fence and I'm not answering your question full stop. With Chairman Powell, things felt a little bit different. It felt like we finally got someone that answers a question, draining the Greenspan-esque communication star from a Federal Reserve chairman. How much longer can he keep that up for, remain, if the market moves against him? Well, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, he's clearly not an academic from the cloth that we saw from the past two Fed chiefs. And we got a taste of him when he went on to the Hill. And, and you know, I think he, he, you know, he sort of showed some elements of both sides. You know, he did show that sort of plain spoken side. But at the same time, he also uh, was very good at dodging a few of the uh, the more uh, ludicrous questions that came out of Congress. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he responds in front of journalists who have uh, some more pointed questions specifically about the market. Um I also just want to add, though, too, I, you know, you know, this is a chance for Powell to come out again on his own uh, at the press conference. But I, I do think it will be interesting to see how much he was able to corral uh, the entire board uh, onto this statement uh, to see who the dissenters were, if any. Uh, and particularly, you know, sort of what the tone is that they're setting, not only for the rest of the year, but, um, you know, we talk about this 3-4 hype that's been sort of yeah. the obsession, but we also have to look forward to 2019 and whether there's a little bit more telegraphing uh, on the long end there rather than what's just happening this year. Well, Al, just as far as the optimism for this year is concerned, even the likes of Governor Brainerd, who historically over the last couple of years has been on the dovish end of the spectrum on the Federal Reserve Committee, coming out optimistic as well for this year. And it makes you wonder that maybe Chairman Powell has actually got a bit of a unit behind him if he wants to drive this forward. Uh, you, you've got to imagine new heads at the table. Um, uh, you know, there's a bit of an uh, early doors enthusiasm. I can definitely go with that, a uh, bit of a reinvigoration um, uh, from what had been an embattled previous uh, Fed chair, um, you know, uh, because of you know Trump and his comments that he'd made about her previously. So maybe there's a bit more in, in, of an invigorated environment there. But that being said, um, it's early doors, and uh, it'll be interesting to see for how long that um, that enthusiasm, those are levels of enthusiasm, are yeah. being able to main be maintained. So, in a couple of hours' time, you will get the uh, the Fed decision in about an hour's time. Actually, you get the Fed decision, and then you get this summary of economic projections within the Fed decision. They put out this big thing with all the economic forecasting uh, remain. And within that, there is this dot plot, which everyone's going to be super focused on. Mm -hmm. And all the FOMC 
policymakers, basically everyone at the Federal Reserve, all the officials, the regional Fed presidents, the governors on the board, the chair himself, puts their dot on where they think rates should be in 2018, 19, mm-hmm. 20, and then the longer term dot. So we'll be focused on 2018 to see if the median dot shifts from three to four. And then you're looking out further, Romain, and you've sort of touched on this and I want to go a little bit deeper to wrap things up. As you go out further to 29, 2020, and rates start to shift north of 3%, it's actually above the long-term neutral rate that they've also plotted. So there's kind of this inversion, this kink mm-hmm. in the dots curve. What do you make of that? And what does it tell you? Well, I, I think it's going to be a stunner for the market. I, you know, I mean, right now we are pricing in fairly close to the dot plot for 2018. Um, I, if there is a shift upward in the plot going into 2019, uh, it says a lot more about uh, how unprepared or at least how... Uh, uh, this market was to take the Fed seriously. Um, you know, if he thinks the data is there, uh, which I'm not sure it is, uh, you know, he's got to telegraph that to the market. And I'm not so sure so far uh, the market's on the same page past 2018. Romain Bostic, editor of our Bloomberg Top Live blog, sticking with me here in New York, over in Zurich, Switzerland. Alistair McKay, director of investment management, Fernwealth, also staying with me. Next up on the conversation, less than a week after sounding a bullish tone, Deutsche Bank is pouring cold water on investors again. That conversation's next. This is The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. In the market today, Deutsche Bank took an absolute beating, down over 5% at the close in Frankfurt, Germany. Less than a week after sounding a bullish tone, Deutsche Bank poured cold water once again on investors. Europe's biggest investment bank saying that the euro's gain against the dollar and higher funding costs will reduce revenue in the securities unit by about $450 million euros this quarter those comments sending the bank's shares down to the lowest level since november 2016 and leading losses among european peers another otherwise constructive environment means that we're sort of depending on the business flat to slightly down from last year the unaspiring words of the chief financial officer at an investor conference in London today. The first quarter of 2017 was, quote, relatively strong, making for a, quote, more difficult comparison at a time when many people are hoping the action in the securities business picks up, not rolls over. Um, Remain, the story of Deutsche Bank, it's a difficult one. And you'd think the current environment would have made things better. The Mm -hmm. volatility of the first quarter would have made things easier, more profitable for investment banks that usually do well on the market side from that environment. Apparently not so for Deutsche. Yeah, I thought we were sort of past this for uh, some of the for the major banks here. I mean, you know, I could just tell you right now that from, uh, you know, the folks that we've been talking to all through the first quarter, I mean, the amount of enthusiasm that they've been expressing uh, uh, for the amount of activity they've been getting on pretty much all sides of the business because of the market volatility has been there. I mean, we've heard it uh, from all of the major banks. Uh, So this is a little bit of a shocker to see them come out and say this uh, in that manner. I'm not even quite sure uh, why they haven't figured out a way to move around this or maneuver around it, I should say, uh, 
at least to the point where they felt it was necessary to come out with such a uh, such a large warning like this. It, it does raise the question, Al. You know, we've talked about it so many times on this program. The banks that are going through turnaround efforts, led by Tijan Tiam over at Credit Suisse and Jess Staley over at Barclays, at the bottom of the pile has just been Deutsche Bank and John Cryan and a real struggle. And if this current environment can't help them, you do wonder what will. Yeah, look, we've, 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 Jonathan, we've touched on this quite a few times over the last oh, five, six months, I think, uh, uh, where we've talked, talked about, uh, you know, Germany's a saturated market. Um, and that's a, a, an embattled area. The eurozone, with such low interest rates, e- even with the, the mentality towards uh, rate normalisation creeping in, is still not offering the, the sort of profit margins that are, that US banks are enjoying at this point in time. Um, and there's there's still a lot of catch up to go. Throw into the mix, Deutsche Bank. I think you'll be fair to say have maybe not been as as ambitious with their restructuring uh, plans in the top tier managerial area, and possibly. A broadening of more international uh, opinions uh, than, than than some of their competitors, and you know, I, I guess the market price and action we've seen in the last you know year and a half, two years in Deutsche Bank doesn't reflect a market that's that's convinced that corners have been properly turned. Is there any read across here, Ralph, for the other European investment banks? Given that he did cite the euro's gain and the higher funding cost. Is there a read across here from Deutsche Bank to others in Europe, or do you look at this as a Deutsche Bank story this morning? Mm, I, I think it's uh, – fair enough. Euro strength will have come into the to the mix. Um, and, and, you know, 450 million uh, uh, knock-on effect onto the, to the books, Euro's uh, knock-on to the books, is, is, you know, not an insurmountable uh, quantity. But that being said, you do kind of feel that – that is only part of the story, and it's a useful excuse to, to to bring into the mix and bring to the forefront of people's attention. I think, you know, the actions that were required were required a sustainable time period ago, and that's more the reason that we're still seeing Deutsche Bank being struggling rather than the, the relatively short-term euro price action we've seen in the last, you know, 12 months. Alistair McCaig, Director of Investment Management at Fernwealth out of Zurich, Switzerland. Also with us, Romain Bostic, editor of our Bloomberg Top Life blog. Sticking with me, next up on the programme, things just going from worse to worse from Facebook. With a big question mark over the CEO of Mark Zuckerberg's head. Where exactly is he throughout this PR disaster? He is keeping his silent. Reports suggest he might break it in the next 24 hours. The stock rebounding off the back of that. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with me, Jonathan Farrow, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. Facebook's grim week just gets grimmer. The company was beset on two continents by governments suddenly focused on data security and investors unlike to stock to the point that it lost almost $60 billion in value. Facebook stock today is a little bit firmer after two days of losses. It's up by just over 2%. A question remains though, where is the CEO Mark Zuckerberg? The company had a staff meeting yesterday to address their questions about what Facebook knew and when. The CEO though, Mark Zuckerberg, isn't planning to address employees until Friday at a previously scheduled all-hands-on meeting. 
for those not privy to the internal meetings, the latest investment in developments so far have left the CEO out in the cold. And as far as investors are concerned, they're waiting to hear from him. He remains silent. And according to Axios, reports suggesting we might actually hear from him within the next 24 hours. My question to you, Alistair McCaig, who joins us from Zurich, Switzerland, of Fern Wealth, is um, just what on earth are they playing at at the top of Facebook? Yeah, I've seen plenty of gags about all hands, no heads, as far as Facebook are concerned at this point in time. And silence just leads for the market to normally assume the worst. I've got to say, though, the price action in Facebook shares are you know, relatively calm when you consider how seriously there have been, uh, the, the consequences have been for a, a lack of data protection in other companies uh, uh, that, that have come across these sort of uh, <laughs> uh, political discontent and, and uh, investor discontent. Uh, numerous uh, potential court cases coming their way as yeah. well as far as shareholders are concerned. Uh, I've, I've also seen a, a screen grab off of uh, a Bloomberg monitor of uh, Mark's personal um, uh, equity uh, sales uh, in the run-up to this event, um, and it, there's quite a cluster. Some good, mark, some good market timing timely. there. Yeah, um, no allegations <laughs> on this program, just some good market timing. Um, Remain, yeah. an, an incredible chief executive officer of this company. I remember when he used to go on the, um, the marketing tour for the IPO, the mm-hmm. roadshow, and he'd go around with a hoodie and people would laugh at him. How could this kid run this company? And he's done a remarkable job of it. His M&A strategy is something, once again, many people laughed at. He's laughing at us. He got Instagram for basically nothing compared to what it's worth now. And likewise, um, WhatsApp too. He has made some really good strategic business decisions, orientating the business towards mobile in a much more efficient, quicker way than many other companies had done as well. But on this specific PR issue, it's really exposed some flaws in his leadership. There doesn't seem to be any leadership right now, Remain. It doesn't. And, and you know, he's always done things his own way, and that's why he's been so successful. But he's been able to do that in a realm that uh, he largely created or, or helped to create. And now he's in a different realm. Uh, when you talk about the potential political fallout, as well as the, the consequences in the public uh, financial markets, he's in a realm that he does not have that same amount of control. We haven't heard from him. We haven't heard from Sandberg. We haven't heard from any top executive from this company uh, in any way beyond just a scripted written statement or blog post. That's astonishing. We have a story on the system. Reporters Sarah Fryer, Max Chafin did a great story today. He hasn't even addressed his staff. No. Uh, Cheryl Sandberg hasn't addressed her staff. Um, You know, this is, uh, you know, I'm not going to say how deep this crisis is at the moment, but we know that there is a perception in the market and certainly on Capitol Hill, certainly in London, that what Facebook did uh, may have crossed the line and that at least certain people in politics and in the markets want to punish this company as a result. And he has to get out in front of this. Now, maybe he's just you know, smarter than the rest of us. And they have a strategy that they think is going to be better than doing the standard damage control playbook. But right now it is a little curious uh, that someone from this company up high isn't out there defending or explaining what they did. The only senior executive on the record that has actually discussed this, and the irony I'm sure won't be lost on anybody, is Carolyn Everson, the VP of Global Marketing Solutions, formerly at Microsoft, who drove Gresswatt, global ad sales and strategy. Um, Carolyn Everson's speciality, Al, is taking care of the advertisers. It's the advertising strategy. Mm. 
And it won't be lost on anyone that the only person we've heard from is the uh, the person that looks after the advertisers. Now, ultimately, for a lot of people, they'll be sitting here and wondering, is that ultimately what this company cares about? The advertisers or the user base? Because at the moment, they're doing a pretty shoddy job of really rebuilding confidence from the people that use the platform. Yeah, you've got to, <laughs> yeah, when you consider how long it takes to, to build up that user base when it comes to social media sites, uh, and then to slowly but surely convert that user base into a, a monetizable asset, uh, and how well Facebook had done that, um, and how they've seen their, their demographic uh, change over the course of time, as well as their markets have matured, to, to be as blasé as they are at the moment about the underlying user yeah. is a little bit worrying. I mean, um, Professor Galloway, Scott Galloway, who's been incredibly outspoken on some of these big tech firms, author of the four, professor at NYU, has said that they've been tone deaf throughout all of this, throughout the Russia scenario as well and that particular crisis. And yet they're still not managed to get the tone right at all. And I had an analyst remain on my TV show a little bit earlier talking about how, well, it's just 50 million people's user data and overall they've got 2 billion people and at the end of the thing, end of the day, it's not that big and this will get worked out. And I imagine, you know what, base case, it probably will get worked out. But if this was a food chain, just think right. about it. If it was a food chain that had 2,000 stores across the United States of America and just one or two of those restaurants had some kind of outbreak and food poisoning, they would come out pretty quickly and pretty hard to try and get ahead of it. So I don't know why Facebook aren't doing the same thing. Yeah, and, and, it's, just an, and it's not just about them losing users uh, per se. It's also about their engagement on the platform, how much uh, information they're going to be willing to share going forward, how many of these sort of other uh, additional apps that get bolted on to Facebook they're willing to use. And that could have a huge impact on their ad revenue down the road. Uh, should those number of users stay the same, but their actual engagement fall? You know, also just to point out about the tone, I mean, let's not forget, you know, Congress did drag these companies over up, up onto the Hill a few months ago. They didn't send the CEOs. They sent the lawyers and the tone yeah. amongst those lawyers uh, did not please a lot of folks on the Hill. Yeah, it's not pleasing them now either. Ramon Bostic, great to have you with us. Will Mark Zuckerberg break his silence? A special thanks to Alistair McKay, Director of Investment Management at Fern Wealth. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. For the city of London, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio, good afternoon, good afternoon. This is Bloomberg Radio at the close at 5.30 in London. The FTSE 100 down a third of 1%. The DAX treading water on the equity benchmark in Frankfurt, Germany. In the United States, some gains. We continue to bounce back. The S&P 500 up a third of 1%. The Dow up by four-tenths of 1%. The dollar very much on offer, weaker against most of the G10. Cable getting up to 147.9, up six-tenths of 1%. Euro dollar also punching a little bit higher at 122.63 positive by about 0.17 percent as we count you down to that federal reserve decision about 30 minutes away the treasury market behaving as follows very stable very calm 290 on a u.s 10-year 234 on a u.s two-year note joining me to count you down to that federal reserve decision is david wilson markets live blogger and stocks editor for bloomberg and lana Nguyen. she is a bloomberg fx bond reporter Great to have you with us, guys. Lanana, looking at the situation with LIBOR, just very quickly, this push higher in short-term rates. Most people, in fact, everyone I've spoken to sits here and says, 
okay, it's not a sign of credit stress. This is not 2008. And I would sit there and say, fine, most people agree with you. But what are the consequences of this push higher in short-term rates? What are they? Sure. I think people do get spooked when you see anything that compares to 2008. So just that echo of 2008 is already enough to kind of make people feel unsettled. But as you say, what are the actual implications? Obviously, we've got now global implications for this rate. We've got Saudi Arabia looking at it. We've got, you know, people talking about the Hong Kong currency peg potentially <laughs> being broken as a result of this. So yeah. those are kind of some of the ripple effects that, that we're seeing in the markets. Dave Wilson, do you see that concern about a tightening of financial conditions anywhere? Well, it hasn't really shown up in the stock market so much to this point. And, you know, you look at the financial companies, they're they're doing relatively well. So, you know, it's hard to kind of pin down just looking at equity prices, you know, what the carryover might be in terms of you know, the, the issues raised by what we're seeing in the LIBOR market. Beyond that, though, I mean, it, it, it's something to just sort of focus on, if only because, you know, it's only now that you know, these financial companies are starting to see the benefits of higher bond yields. I mean, that's been something that people have been looking for a couple of years now, and yeah. you're starting to see that in treasuries. So you're at, they're actually in a position where they might be able to make a little more money. So does it get in the way of, of that much anticipated sort of increase in their profitability? That becomes an issue to look for. Lana, if you think about what the Federal Reserve has been able to engineer over the last couple of years, it's, it's an ability to raise interest rates without tightening financial conditions. And I just wonder whether we've gone through an inflection point now where that's no longer the case. Yeah, I think the Fed has done a good job of trying to make things go as steadily as possible. Janet yeah. Yellen is a master at walking that tightrope during meetings of being dovish and hawkish at the same time so that everyone comes out flat. Um, and then obviously the balance sheet roll off has gone, you know, as they tried to make it go like paint dry. Um, yeah. So I think everyone in the market is sort of on tenterhooks thinking, well, we expected the exit from QE to have some kind of, you know, big wash out in the market some some big sort of uh tailwinds or uh you know tail risks and this might be it short-term rates um higher whether you look at libor or you look at treasury bills and my question generally and, and more broadly is whether this slows the federal reserve down at all and whether this is enough to say for the federal reserve that actually finally we're starting to see financial conditions tighten off the back of interest rate hikes and whether the higher libor rate is not necessarily, and we can agree on this program, that it's not a real sign of real credit stress, that actually it's just higher funding costs full stop, that maybe that stops them from their quest to go from three to four to five. We'll find out in about an hour. I guess we'll find out in less than that. <laughs> less we'll find out in hour. 30 minutes. Yeah, and then the press conference, I'm sure someone will ask about it. I'm yeah. sure that people, this has been become such a big deal in the markets, I'm sure someone's going to ask them about it. Yeah, Dave, it's a big question. For, for a long time, you've had easy financial conditions in the United States and globally. And the ECB has given them some real air cover for that. Don't get me wrong. The European Central Bank, by pressing the money printer and buying huge amounts of government bonds at a time when the Fed has pulled back, has really enabled the Fed to do what they've, what they've done without disrupting financial markets. Now, that air cover won't necessarily be there at the back end of 2018. It may well be gone. Does that slow the Fed down? I suppose the bigger question is, does it slow the markets down? I mean, 
you, you, the two kind of go together in a sense because there are certainly people who will tell you that a lot of what we've seen in stocks the last several years has been fueled by relatively easy money courtesy of the Federal Reserve. So, you know, if they, as you put it, lose the cover of uh, the European Central Bank, you know, it, it does become an issue that, you know, may not only affect monetary policy, but also affect what happens to share prices from here. And face it, more than nine years into a bull market, in U.S. stocks, you know, you could argue that uh, they're overdue for some kind of a, a decline, and and certainly you can see where you know sort of the shifting monetary policy would bring yeah. it on. Going into this meeting, I think market positioning is really interesting as well. And then um, in the Treasury market, huge sort positions have built up over the last year. And you can explain that by the expectations of higher yields and higher interest rates. There's also this huge short that's built up in the US dollar, though, and that's a little bit more difficult to explain going into a meeting that a lot of people think will be the precursor to an increasingly hawkish Federal Reserve. Sure. Well, you just go back to the ECB. Everyone knows that the, the, the Fed is going to raise rates, and we've known that for a little while now. So right. the market has completely anticipated all of that, worked that in. Now we're looking for what's next. We're looking for whether the ECB is going to do something and when, and when the BOJ is going to start moving. And this, that might be, you know, year two years from now, but people are still wanting to think about that more than they're than from From the, the people that you discussed the FX market mm -hmm. with, Traditionally, the FX 101 book, I think in the front page, would be rate differentials. Sure. Rate differentials just don't explain the FX market action of the past 12 months at all. What does? Yeah, well, rate differentials do explain the action uh, sort of in advance, right? So the market is thinking about those rate differentials in advance and has worked them in, right? So now what we're looking at is an entire market of dollar bull or dollar bears, and we could only find two dollar bulls this week Wow! to talk to us. So um, my colleague Katie and I um, were looking around, scrambling to find anyone we could talk to who was bullish on the dollar, and we could only find, you know, two, three. And what's the, uh, what's the justification the rationale for for those two or three dollar bulls you did find tax tax cuts really yeah, tax cuts Why? U.S. economy is doing well uh, and you know the growth that that we're going to see in the U.S. is going to cause the Fed as you say to become more hawkish and that's eventually going to make the markets get real about rate differentials and, and will we get real about Europe and the prospect of an interest rate anytime soon from the European Central Bank. When you look at the data there, does it justify a hike anytime soon? Well, it's been better, but a lot of people, especially those $2 bulls that we spoke to, said that the European data is going to start to not be as strong as it as it has been. Yeah. And so that's going to erode that, um, that justification for a, a rate hike over there. I, I love that with all the access that Bloomberg has to the FX market, which is an absolute monster, we could only manage to find... It's not for lack of trying. It's not three. for lack of trying. I don't doubt you. I just think that says a lot about the market positioning right now and the views on, on that ever weaker dollar, one of the worst years in a decade through 2017. David Wilson of uh, Bloomberg Markets Live Blogger and Stocks Editor and Lana Newitt, Bloomberg FX Bond Reporter. We'll be sticking with us as we count you down to that Federal Reserve decision. The euro a little bit stronger at 122.68, positive by two tenths of 1%. Cable pushing higher as well ahead of that Bank of England rate decision at 140.84, up six tenths of 1%. Dollar very much weaker against pretty much everything in G10, with the exception of the Swedish krona going into this Federal Reserve decision 22 minutes away. Treasuries unchanged, 10 year yields at 289.41, just south of 290, and two year note yields just coming in a basis point at 233. Chairman Powell, just around the corner, you're listening to Bloomberg Radio. 
This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. You listen to Bloomberg Radio live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. I'm Jonathan Farrow. The United States should engage China on trade instead of having a shouting match. That's according to the former U.S. Treasury Secretary Jack Lu speaking to Bloomberg Television from Beijing. Take a listen. China has done many things that uh, they rightfully are being pressured on. This excess capacity is distorting global steel and aluminum markets. It's a message they need to hear from the U.S., they need to hear it from Europe, they need to hear it from the other producing nations. Um, What the U.S. shouldn't be is the outlier. The U.S. should be driving the world to a discussion where it leads to better outcomes. That was the former Treasury Secretary Jack Lew speaking to Bloomberg Television in an interview from Beijing. And most economists would agree this administration has identified a problem, a problem that needs addressing. And that problem on the international stage, as far as international trade is concerned, is China and their reluctance, unwillingness, inability perhaps at this point to drop their barriers to entry. It is the approach of this administration where there is significant disagreement. And weighing in on that disagreement was the US former US Treasury Secretary Jack Lew. With me now is David Wilson, Markets Life blogger and stocks editor for Bloomberg, and Lanan Nguyen, Bloomberg FX bond reporter. Uh, Lanan, are we going to get even more pressure on China from this administration in the coming days? Yeah, well, we've already got some today, John. As I was just saying, uh, Robert Lighthizer, the trade rep, um, has been talking about China today. He's saying that we're going to stick up for U.S. farmers uh, and agriculture if China retaliates or, uh, you know, we're going to come up with countermeasures. And so I think the rhetoric this afternoon, as we can see from the markets, has already amped up a little bit. Where are you seeing the market action, the price action off the back of all of this at the moment, Lana? Well, we also got some headlines on NAFTA from Lighthizer as well, so and and a few comments from the EU on trade and Brexit. Um, so it's all kind of jumbling together. All of this trade rhetoric, protectionist rhetoric, um, you know, the ins and outs of the steel tariffs, yeah. they're all kind of, they're, they're affecting euro dollar, definitely dollar CAD this afternoon as well. For the broader market, um, David Wilson, this hasn't been a bigger problem for the last week or so. The market's kind of shaken off this trade war talk. Does it come back on the agenda again? Well, the more that you see actual concrete moves, the more of a concern there would be. Think about it. I mean, there are are certainly industries that are doing a lot of business with China. You think about, you know, the uh, commodity producers and so on. And so to the extent that uh, that relationship gets, uh, shall we say, entangled in these trade issues, it's something you have to be concerned about and, and, and sort of watching how things unfold. You know, when you think about, you know, China and intellectual property, I mean, We've already had a deal in the chip industry get scuttled, Broadcom offering $117 billion for Qualcomm. And the issue really came down to, you know, in the end, what happens with intellectual property, specifically the next generation of wireless services? Does China kind of steal a march in terms of uh, who really controls the technology? So the issue is definitely out there. And it's just a question of, you know, how does the Trump administration address it here? But David, is it a tail risk more than a, a base case scenario still? Still, that that sounds reasonable. I mean, it, until you get to the point where it really cuts into companies' business in a meaningful way, 
you know, it's hard to kind of do anything more than just sort of pay attention to all the back and forth that's going on at the moment. Lanana, what's the risk around this for the FX market? Do we get to a world where traditionally we would think as the dollar of having this risk mitigating quality about it? Do we think of a world where that is no longer the case? Increasingly, that's what we're hearing from sources in the FX market, that people are looking at the dollar as, you know, kind of a stinker. All this political turmoil, all of this trade protectionism talk um, is increasing the chances that the dollar is not as interesting as an asset class or as an asset. And maybe the euro is the more interesting currency. Um, you know, maybe reserve managers are also considering that, given that the dollar plunged last year as well. So, uh, yeah, we are seeing increasing conversations about the, yeah. uh, you know, the appeal of the dollar. Who would have seen? that coming five years ago that the euro would be the haven currency over the dollar and new end of a bloomberg sticking with us david wilson uh bloomberg's very own markets life blogger and stocks editor with us as well as we count you down to that fed decision just moments away this is the cable with jonathan farrow on bloomberg radio You're listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jonathan Farrow, counting you down to that Federal Reserve rate decision, coming to you in about 12 minutes' time. Before we get there, let me run you through some of the price action. At the close today, the FTSE 100 softer by a third of 1%. The equity benchmark in Frankfurt, Germany, the DAX going absolutely nowhere. In the United States, some gains for you. That rebound continues. The S&P 500 up a third of 1%, the Dow up by four-tenths of 1%. In the FX market, a lot of expectations for a hawkish Fed meeting, except the FX market not really backing that up with dollar strength. It's dollar weakness across G10, with the exception of the Swedish krona, the dollar weaker against absolutely everything, including the pound, the cable rate that's sterling against the US dollar, up six-tenths of 1% to 140.79. In the uh, euro, euro dollar, the single currency, 122.71, we trade higher by about a quarter of 1%. So that dollar weakness growing a little bit as we approach that Federal Reserve meeting. In the gilt market at the close today, 10-year gilt yields look a little something like this, up by four basis points on the session ahead of that Bank of England meeting, we are up to 1.527% on a UK 10-year. And to round out the action in the Treasury market for you, 10-year Treasury yields, dead flat at 289, just south of 290. We did breach that level a little bit earlier. And two-year notes trading at 233, we come in a single basis point. So that's some of the price action for you in a fixed income. Just to round things out, a quick look at the commodity market up 2.63% on Brent. WTI positive by 2.41%. With me around a table in New York as we approach that Federal Reserve decision, I'm pleased to say still with me is Lana Nguyen, Bloomberg FX and Bond reporter and David Wilson, Markets Live blogger and Stocks editor also for Bloomberg. Lana, in about, what, 10 minutes time, we're going to get the decision. Then a little bit later after that, we're going to hear from Chairman Powell, his first news conference, his debut news conference as the Fed chairman. What are you looking for specifically in that news conference? What do you want to hear from him? First of all, we want to hear about his guidance for the future. Obviously, we want to hear what he says about the dots. We want to hear about whether uh, you know the Fed is going to lean in a hawkish direction. We also want to see what his communication style is like, how he handles the questions, whether he makes any boo-boos. Um, everyone's going to be hanging on every word. David Wilson? 
That's it. I mean, really kind of sums it up right there. It's all about how he presents himself, what he has to say that would give us any sense of where monetary policy is headed from here, whether it confirms the uh, concern, you might say, of those looking for four rate increases this year instead of perhaps three, and then what happens into next year. I mean, you'll, you'll see visibly what you know the feds uh, policymakers are thinking when you get their dot plots but having someone actually talking about it and more useful in terms of a, a way to kind of gauge where things are going and, and david actually having a, a federal reserve leader that answers the question is going to be a bit of a novelty for for a lot of people this is a much more straight talking federal reserve chair than what we got used to with yellen Bernanke, and certainly much more straight talking than Greenspan. Absolutely. I mean, he was known for, uh, shall we say, obfuscating when it came to answering people's questions. So the idea of a short, sweet, and direct answer will be a change of pace for sure. Is that a welcome change of pace, Lanan? I'm not sure it is. Yellen was very good at walking the line. She was very good at saying on the one hand, on the other hand, and not kind of spooking the markets too far in one direction. So if he does make some very declarative statements, uh, that's not always the best thing. So why do you think Wall Street are really welcoming of this new straight talking Federal Reserve chairman? Because pretty much everyone I've spoken to says we welcome this. It's so nice to have a Federal Reserve leader that actually just answers the question, tells us straight what they think. Why is that actually not a welcome thing? I think we'll see what the market reaction is. If he makes a statement that is too sort of firm in one direction, maybe we'll have some dislocations in the market, maybe we'll have some big price moves, and then people might say, oh, whoa, whoa, you yeah. went a little too far on that. So um, yes, he is viewed as you know sort of a, a steady pair of hands. So maybe that's what people are happy about. And I also want to just think it aloud here as a consequence of being in business and not being in academia, that typically in business, the one thing they've got to have is conviction about the future and what you can deliver and the goals that you want to have for your company that's often what a lot of people do to kind of give the image that they're in control that they know the direction of the way things are going and of course for for many people that run a business they they know it's a lot more uncertain than that economists are hedging things all the time on the one hand this on the other hand that i'm going to sit on the fence and one thing that actually the academic approach gives you is you maintain credibility a lot more than giving people a target and a goal to beat you around the head with in 12 months' time. And I just wonder, actually, that maybe the straight-talking sort of communication style is something that doesn't bite you immediately. It's something that bites you later when you can't deliver what you've said. Exactly. If you're too firm on your targets, if you're too firm on dates, numbers, etc., especially if we're talking about inflation targets or unemployment, um, these are numbers that people will hold him to. If you're a two-handed economist, you buy some time, you talk about different scenarios, different cases, and that way you're not completely locked into one course of action. So that is a risk. You'd have to think... Um, David, that they'd want to keep some optionality for the rest of the year, given how mixed the first quarter's been. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I'm sure that you know when, when Chairman Powell gets up there and, and starts talking, he's going to have that in mind. But your, your point about business needing conviction, I think you can extend that and think of it in terms of markets. In essence, you know what's going to be moving perhaps once we get the rate decision and the commentary. I mean, you have to have conviction in what you own and what you're betting against or whatever it might be. So, you know, again, it's a similar kind of mindset, perhaps, that, that the people in the markets would have to someone like uh, Chairman Powell. Now, how that plays out in terms of the reactions as he you know, outlines where things are headed, 
Now that becomes a, a more difficult issue because we really have been dealing with, you know, for decades with the, the on the one hand, on the other hand approach. Guys, I have to say, we've got to leave it there, but I, I really appreciate your time as we approach that debut appearance from Chairman Powell in a news conference following a Federal Reserve decision. That decision comes to you in five minutes' time. The news conference coming 30 minutes after that. To David Wilson, Markets Live blogger and stocks editor for Bloomberg, thank you. And a special thanks to Lenan Ewan, who I hope will be back. Bloomberg FX and Bond reporter. In the market ahead of that Federal Reserve rate decision, the dollar weaker, euro dollar firmer, sterling positive, cable up by... What are we up by now? We're up across the board in FX against the dollar. Sterling up by a half of 1% to 140.74. And Treasury stable 289 on a US 10-year. The decision and full coverage up next.